0: Thank you so much, guys. If you have a copy of God's Word, please take it and turn to the book of Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 13. I'm excited to be with you today because we're finishing up a quick little series of messages that we've engaged in the beginning this year on biblical leadership. We've been talking about the fact that biblical leaders, the the scriptures call these people pastors or elders. They are a gift to the church. And we've been talking about the fact that the reason they're a gift to the church is because they have certain qualifications they have to fulfill. Most important, we discussed last week, which is they've got to have a faith that makes a tangible impact in their lives. Um, Pastoral leaders should have a real faith, not just a Sunday morning kind of compartmentalized faith, but a faith that allows them to be an example to the body, a faith that allows them to protect and to feed and guide the body that Christ has entrusted to them. Today we're going to turn our attention to talking about what our response should be to biblical leaders. What should the church's response be to those God has set aside as pastors and elders? And I'll tell you up front why I think this message is important for you today. I believe God has a special grace, a special gift of protection for all of us when we follow His plan for submitting to a church and by extension to the leadership in a church. I think there's a special protection God gives his people without which they cannot operate, without which you cannot properly live the Christian life that he gives to you through the church. As we've been talking about authority, one of the things that I think has really come up in my study of this passage is I think another reason why this is so important is there's really an unhealthy view of authority in our culture, I think a lot of us view authority with disdain or with skepticism. And my prayer has been is that as you've been able to see God's plan for leadership and authority in the church, that it may be qualifying and correcting some negative views of authority that we've kind of let seep in from the culture. So my prayer is that this will be a blessing to you as we look at what is our response supposed to be to biblical leaders and the, the grace that we receive through that in Jesus Christ. Look at your Bibles, Hebrews 13. Would you please stand with me as we honor the reading of God's word? Hebrews 13, starting in verse 17. Actually, we're gonna only be in verse 17 this morning. Hebrews 13, 17. The writer of Hebrews says this. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. This is the word of the Lord. This is God's holy, infallible, and inerrant word to us. Would you please pray with me, church? God, as we jump into your word this morning, we pray that you would open our eyes and you would help us see and hear from you. Lord, I pray that you would remove distraction and that what we would be about this morning is receiving something that's actually supernatural. God, we are not gathered just to hear from me, a nice little talk or devotional, Lord. We're here to hear from you this morning, and we pray that you would break through and speak to our hearts. Lord, as you speak to our hearts and our minds, we pray that we would not just be hearers of your word, but would you help us be doers of your word as well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You can be seated. So what should our response be to biblical leadership, pastors and elders, if we're going to receive the kind of blessing and protection God has for us? I want to start by just answering that question, what? What should our response be? Look at the first part of verse 17. The writer of Hebrews says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. The words obey and submit are kind of synonymous. They they carry the idea of a person placing themselves under the authority of another. It's important to remember that when we read these words in the Bible, obedience and submission is not something done to you, like you're put in a submission hold. Submission is actually something you willingly take on yourself. And what the Bible's saying here is the way that you can experience the special blessing and gift of God in a unique way in your life is by submitting, willingly placing yourself under the protection and care and guidance of pastoral leadership. Now, when we first hear that, there's a, there's a resistance we have to that, right? We don't like the words submit and obey. And I think the reasons we don't like that as part of it, as Americans, we're rugged individualists, right? We don't like anybody telling us what to do, but I think it's more than that. I think culturally, there's just this overall rejection of authority that we have in our minds. We just, we're resistant to it. And what we need to recognize is that God's teaching here in the word about the church and authority is not some kind of unique strand of teaching in the Bible. There's a lot of instruction, especially in the New Testament, about authority, Because here's what the Bible tells us. The Bible tells us that God is the sovereign creator, ruler of the universe. He's the ultimate authority. But what the Bible also tells us is that God has vested some other authorities in this world for our good and for his glory. He's vested authority in structures in this world that are meant to be a blessing and benefit to us. So if some of you were here for our 1 Peter series this past fall, we talked about some of those structures. We talked about the government. We talked about employers. We talked about the home. And even now, the writer of Hebrews is saying, there's also an authority structure in the church. And in all of those cases, what we're saying consistently is this. When we submit to God-given authorities organizations and structures that have vested power from God, we place ourselves under God's protection. So kids, children who are living in your parents' homes, when you place yourself under your parents' authority, you're placing yourself under God's protection for you, even if your parents aren't the smartest people in the world. And I always wait there for a kid someplace to go, amen. (laughs) Nobody ever does. We got some smart kids in here. But there's protection that comes with that. Employers, uh, putting yourself and submitting to employers, submitting even to governing authorities you didn't vote for. When we do that, we place ourselves under God's protection with one small condition. That is, because they're vested authorities from God, we would never obey our human authorities and disobey God. In other words, if a human authority ever asks me to sin, I say no. Because what I'm actually doing is not just submitting to these human authorities, I'm actually submitting to God first because I'm submitting to Him. I'm also submitting to these authorities in my life. God's plan is for you and I to receive a blessing through submission to authority. Now, one of the expressions of that authority is what we're seeing here in this passage, and I kind of sum this idea up this way. God's plan for you, if you're a follower of Jesus, is to submit to godly pastors and elders. His plan for every follower of Jesus is for them to place themselves willingly under the protection and care and guidance of these kind of leaders. Now, if... If you're like me, one of the tensions that emerges in your thinking when you read this is is the tension that comes from the fact that we are a congregational church. Everybody thought about that? We as a body here, this church called Riverview Baptist Church, we believe that the ultimate authority God has invested in the church rests with the congregation. In other words, the congregation is ultimately the one who should install, and if necessary, sadly at times, to remove leadership. The congregation is actually the one the Bible is clear, is the final mechanism in the area of church discipline. There are numerous examples where the congregation is clearly taught in the New Testament to be the final authority that Christ has given in the church. So where do we get off? Where does the writer of Hebrews get off saying that we're to submit to leaders? Here's how this works. Congregations take the authority Christ has given them and they vest that, they steward that to pastoral leadership. It's very similar to dating, okay? It's like dating. In fact, when when I came here in view of a call four years ago, it felt like a speed dating weekend. Right? We were meeting and getting to know weather real quick, and then we decided if we're gonna get married, right? Uh, it's it's similar to that because what's happening in dating is you're deciding whether you're going to give up some of your independence and your autonomy to marry somebody, right? So when you're moving from being from dating and just seeing each other to being married, you're saying, in marriage, I'm only going to have eyes for you. I'm laying my opportunity to go see other people down just for you. I remember the moment in 2007 in November when Shelley and I were dating and... Uh, I had set up this big moment, right, in the Botanic Gardens in Fort Worth. I can show you exactly where we were. I scattered it out ahead of time, and we had this little picnic lunch. And then we went to this little spot, and I told her that I loved her and that I wanted to spend my life with her. And as these words are coming out of my mouth, my wife-to-be, she gets this real serious look on her face. And the panic begins to grow. And so I'm talking, and I'm telling, and I'm pouring my soul out to her. And I say, so I just kind of come to this awkward pause. So what do you think? (laughs) And then she pauses for about two seconds. And I assure you, those two seconds felt like an eternity. Because between me pouring my heart out to her and telling her I loved her and that I wanted to be with her for the rest of my life, and her telling me how she felt, there was this gap of her having all of this power Right? She had all the power, all the authority in the world to say, Get lost, you loser, what are you talking about? Which she didn't do, obviously, or I feel the same way. But when she and I came together, we were both laying down, laying aside certain privileges to operate under the structure called the family that God has given us. Well, this is actually very similar to what happens in church life. Churches pray about, discern who they want to have in positions of pastoral leadership. When they come to a place where they say, yes, this is the guy or these are the guys that we want to lead this congregation, they are vesting, they are giving a set of authority to them that they are then expecting of themselves to follow. This is what What the writer of Hebrews is saying, one of the ways you can experience the way leadership's meant to be lived out in the church is by placing yourself under this authority, fully recognizing that you're the one giving them that authority. And if they were ever to do anything in a disqualifying way, you could remove that authority from them. Here's the point. God's plan for every single Christian is to willingly place themselves under the authority, and I would add this word, of godly, qualified pastoral leadership. So let me ask you this question as a follow-up. Have you, in your life today, done that? Have you willingly placed yourself under the authority, protection, and care of a church, and by extension, pastoral leadership? One of the ways we do that here is through a mechanism called membership, and membership gets kind of a bad rap because it sounds really old and stodgy and kind of like membership in a club and you're not going to do anything, but what we mean by membership, when you hear me talk about that, is it's merely an expression on a person's part to say, I want to willingly place myself under the care and protection and guidance of this church and by extension these leaders. The reason we think membership is so important is because similar to the word Trinity, which is not in the Bible, but yet is a reflection of what we think is taught in the Bible, you won't find the words membership in the Bible, joining a church, but what you will find is the idea of covenanting together with other brothers and sisters in Christ for the the responsibility, for the obligation, for the opportunity of protecting and caring for one another. A church, please remember, sweet people, is not a worship service. A church is not something you come watch. A church is not just a loosely affiliated group of Bible studies. A church is actually a family. It's a body that comes together. So when I talk about that class on February 19th, the reason we believe that membership class is so important is because we get to talk about this and explain that we think becoming covenanted partnered with, if that word helps you better, partnering with another group of people around Jesus Christ is what God has for you. God's best for you is the protection and care a church offers and by extinction pastors and elders. Now, here's the danger. The danger is that we just check off a box okay, yeah, I know I need to be a part of a church. Yeah, let me go to the class, fill out the paperwork, talk to the pastor, check the box. Because what this passage does is it not only tells us what we're to do, the passage also gives clarity about how we're to do it. Look at the last part of verse 17 and notice how the writer of Hebrews under the inspiration of the Spirit tells us we're to do this. He says, let them, that's pastors, Do this, that's oversee, lead you, with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. You see, God is not just concerned with what you do. He's concerned with how you do it. He's concerned with the motive behind what you do. And what we can infer rightly from this passage of Scripture is that there is a way for you to relate to pastoral leadership that brings groaning. It feels like a burden. It feels like it's something that they complain about. And there's a way for congregations and pastors to relate that brings joy, that's mutually beneficial for you and for me. And I think the heart of this is that God is not just concerned with my outward actions. He's also concerned with my heart. This is true in every facet of our lives. God's not just interested in me going through the motions and appearing to do the right things. God's also concerned with why I'm doing them. So parents, right? This, is, this speaks to how we parent our children. I'm not just trying to manage my children's behavior. I'm also trying to shepherd their hearts. Let me give you an example. If I ask my son to do something, take out the trash, clean up his toys, don't hit your brother, don't throw him off the balcony, you know, whatever. If I'm asking him to do, he didn't, he didn't do that, by the way, but if I'm asking him to do something, and he says, okay, fine, whatever, I'll do it, and he, and he throws his hands up in the air, and he stomps around, and he huffs and puffs, is he really obeying me? Now, some might say, from the outside, he's doing what you said. He's, he's obeying, he's, he's modeling a certain behavior that's in line with what you asked him to do. But inside, is he really obeying me? There's a rebellious spirit there, right? And so, parents, what we're doing when we shepherd our children is we're not just getting them to obey what we tell them to do so they don't embarrass us and they behave the right way when they're out in public, we're also trying to help deal with the motives of their hearts that are leading them to do the things that they're doing. So that I'm able to come back to Seth later and say, hey, I noticed you had a little bit of an attitude over here. You guys, parents, you ever had that conversation? I'm noticing an attitude adjustment that we need to make. I had a guy I used to work for. He had this big wooden hammer on his desk, and on the side of it it said, attitude adjuster. Uh... (laughs) We, ha- we have to have those conversations, right, where we're saying to people, especially our children, it's not just what you do, it's why you do it that God cares. He cares about that. In the same way, I think the, the core of what the writer of Hebrews is telling us about a way that we can be mutually beneficial to one another is not just to do the right things outwardly, but that there can be a joyful, mutually beneficial relationship when we're concerned about why we're doing things in the first place. So that obedience and submission is not merely a box that we check, but it's something that we actually see is for our good. And this is, if I can just speak candidly, this is the turn we've got to make on authority in our culture. We have to help people see that authority is not just what they have to do. Okay, I've got to do this because you're, you're the boss and you've got my paycheck and you're, you tell me what to do. But that I begin to see authority as something that's good for me. Why is it good for me? Because God uses it for my good to protect me, to shield me from harm, and he uses it to teach me how to relate to him. Now, here's the point that I would make about this. The way that you and I can submit to one another, can follow leadership in a church that's mutually beneficial, happens best, I believe, when we keep God the main character and we continue to embrace the role of supporting character that you and I have. We talk about main character, supporting character a lot, right? Main character, who's the main character? God's the main character. All this is about him. From Genesis to Revelation, it's about him. You and I have a supporting character role. We're designed to live for his glory and praise. That's why we were made. Churches function best. We can have this mutually beneficial, joyous relationship with one another when we embrace the fact that God's the main character of this church and we are all supporting characters let me give you a few suggestions about how that can practically make its way out into our lives. One of the ways I think this makes out into our lives is through this thing called conflict resolution. Conflict resolution. I want everybody to look up here at me real quick. If you're not already doing that, hopefully you are. The question is not whether we're going to have conflict in this church. We've had it. We will have it. We will disagree about things. The question is not whether we will. We will disagree. The question is, when we disagree, how do we deal with it? Do we deal with conflict in a self-absorbed, self-focused way that just wants to have my way, doesn't matter what anybody else thinks? Or do we have a redemptive focus that puts God in his agenda as the main character, The way that you and I solve conflict best is when we're putting the needs of others and thus the kingdom of God ahead of our own. Philippians chapter two tells us, if you're taking notes, you can write that on the side. Philippians two, three through four, Paul is clear. We are called not to put our own interests first, but we're called to put the interests of others first. Where we get into trouble in churches is when conflict becomes about us. Red flags in conflict resolution, when I hear the people use the first person pronoun I over and over and over and over again, I know we're in trouble. When I hear that first person pronoun I too much, I know we've gone off the tracks. Let me give you another example. Gossip. Let's talk about gossip for a second. What is gossip? I I would define gossip this way. Gossip is sharing information of which you are not part of the solution or the problem. Gossip is when I pass something on to someone else of which I have no part to play in the solution of that particular problem, and I'm not even a part of the problem either. I'm just passing it on to be a conduit of something I think is juicy and something other people might want to know can I tell you why I think gossip is so pervasive? I think gossip is pervasive because people are bored. I say that kind of half-heartedly, but I but I mean it. I really think the reason gossip spreads is because people don't have enough to do. One of the things that we should be about as a church is when somebody begins to give me something that they're not part of the solution or the problem, I say, whoa, 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 are you part of the solution? No. Are you part of the problem? No. You know what? Let's talk about something else. How about them cowboys, right? Uh, how about the chiefs? Let, let, let's pick something else to talk about. Let's not talk about juicy pieces of information that we just happen to find interesting that we'd like to pass on to others. One of the ways we have a mutually beneficial relationship is the scriptures are clear. We've got to put a stop to that kind of communication among one another. Let me give you one more suggestion, one more practical suggestion. One of the ways that you can make this relationship mutually beneficial between pastor, leaders, and the church is by expecting me to give you the word of God and nothing else. Let me tell you the danger for me as your pastor and pastoral leadership and churches in general everywhere. The danger is that we adopt a consumeristic mindset about church that makes church more about entertainment than it is about Christ. Even as I'm looking out there now, I'm going, what are they thinking? Are they listening? Are they making their grocery list? What are they doing? And it's easy. So if you're making a grocery list, that might be God's way of saying stop. Um, It's easy for me to look out there and go, okay, what am I going to do to keep them entertained, to keep them from falling asleep? Which, by the way, falling asleep during your sermon is a great way to bless your pastor. What can I do to to make sure they're not going to do that? It's easy to feel like I've got to entertain you. One of the ways we can benefit one another is to go, no, pastor, we don't want you to entertain us. We want you to open the Bible and teach that to us. Because we believe that's where the life is. We believe that's where God is speaking. We want you to do that. So that 75, 100 years from now, when I'm dead and gone, this church is still consisted of people who are saying, we're expecting our pastor to preach the Bible, not entertain us. Because when you do that, you build the kind of culture and environment that I believe produces joy and not groaning, which is of no advantage to you. Now, I don't know if you had this thought run across your mind during this message, but one of you, some of you might be thinking, you know, it's kind of presumptuous of you to pick a passage about pastoral leadership that says, We're to submit to you. Where do you get off? picking that verse. Why, oh why, Spencer, should we do this? I'm so glad you asked because that's the last thing we're going to talk about. Why should you submit to pastors and leaders? Look back at your Bibles. Verse 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them. Here it is. For they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. The reason I feel comfortable teaching this and feel comfortable calling you to this is because ultimately I am going to be held accountable by God for how I take care of you. When it says oversight of your souls, notice it doesn't say watch over your material possessions, not your house, not your physical well-being. Those things are important. But my primary function is Pastors and elders, what they're supposed to do is to take care of your spiritual condition. In other words, one day God will look at me and he will say, explain yourself. Account. Give uh, an explanation of what you did as the pastor of Riverview Baptist Church. It's a serious thing. It's the same principle, ladies, with male headship in the home. One of the things that we kind of bristle at in the home is the idea that husbands are the head and wives are to submit to their husbands. And I have ladies all the time ask me, why is that the case? It's not because your husbands are smarter than you ladies. I didn't hear any amen, okay? It's not that. It's because one day God's going to hold your husband accountable for your home. You would never want to do anything that would inhibit his ability to take responsibility for something God's holding him accountable for. The church is very similar. One day, I and our other pastors and elders will have to give an account for your spiritual condition. Did I pull any punches with you in teaching the Bible? Did I hold back from calling out sin when we see it? Did I try to protect you from false teaching like the prosperity gospel? Did Did I try to keep you from those things? What did I do with my time with you? Accountability is a big deal, but part of the reason we know accountability is so important is because it intensifies when we consider the authority that the one who's holding us accountable has. So this past winter, this past early January, I went on a trip to Europe to meet with about 1,300 of the missionaries we support. I'm on the board of the organization that sends our missionaries out. I went on that trip. I came back. A couple days after coming back, I got an email from the leadership on our board saying, hey, we want you to give us a, uh, just a summary of your time in Prague while you were there. And it had some questions about number of the number of conversations I had, concerns missionaries had that I heard, my, the best kind of highlight of the trip, what, what I observed as I was watching things that had all these things that they wanted me to fill out. Well, what were they doing? They were trying to hold me accountable for the fact that the board had paid for me to go. This wasn't just a pleasure trip. They wanted me to say, here's an explanation of how I try to spend my time. Now, I'll be honest. I got that email. I kind of let a week go by before I responded to it. I had a lot going on. If, on the other hand, however, I got an email from the IRS, and they said, Mr. Plumley," We're auditing your taxes for the last 10 years. You need to hire a lawyer and begin to put your affairs in order because we're coming for you, which is roughly what they'd be saying in the email. I guarantee you I'd be responding very differently to that email than the email from this board. Why? Because there's a different level of authority that's associated with the one who's calling me to give an account. Now, think about this. Just let this simmer, kind of sift in your minds. God has sent us a letter, and He is saying that pastors and elders will have to give an account of what they've done in churches. There's no one that has more authority than the Creator of the universe. I don't think that my salvation is in peril. I don't think that somehow God's going to say, "Well, you're out" because you didn't preach this series instead of that. I don't think that's it. I think that grace still covers me, but in a unique and a special way. Spiritual shepherds will have to respond and explain what they did with their time. So here's the point of this entire message: just in a statement, the reason I'm I'm calling you to submit to pastors and elders is because they will give an account for you. Why should you covenant with a church and join and become a member of a local body? Because there are people out there God has designed to care for your soul. And you need that. If you're a follower of Jesus, you are not meant to be this lone ranger out here by yourself trying to figure it out. God designed you for community and for you to fall under the care and protection of a church. And one of the clearest ways a church does that is through its leadership. So here's the question. Do you see pastors and elders as God's protection for your soul? Do you view that office with that sense of the weight of what it's designed to do? I say this because I know some of you may have a very negative view of the office of pastor or elder. Some of you have had bad experiences with pastors in your life. In a previous church, a previous setting, you've had poor examples, poor things done to you on, on, by pastors. You've seen pastors make morally poor decisions that have ended their ministries. And it's very easy to view this office with a certain level of suspicion, with a certain level of guardedness, because you don't trust pastors. And can I just speak on behalf of pastors everywhere by saying, I know we make some dumb, boneheaded moves. But, let me make this statement. There is safety in submission to Christ. If you're wrestling with viewing pastors or just viewing authority in a healthy way, I want you to know there's safety in placing yourself under Christ's protection and the authorities He's given you to fall under. There is safety in submission. So, if you're here today and you have a problem with authority, you have a problem with pastors, my appeal to you would be to consider what God's Word has to say about why they exists in the first place. But I also want to talk to some of you here today who may not be Christians. I understand some of you may have been brought by a friend or you kind of wandered in here and you don't know anything about the gospel. You're listening to this and you found maybe this talk instructive or informative about how a church is supposed to run. But I want you to know something. If you're not a Christian, I want you to know that what you're hearing from God's Word about the church actually is a reflection of the heart of God. Because here's what this passage tells us God not only is ready to save you from something, but God also saves you for something and then gives you the protection you need to live that. The gospel, the good news to you and I this morning, is that God indeed has saved us from something. He saved us from the penalty of our sin. We've lied, we've stolen, we've disobeyed our parents, we've worshiped false gods, we've made ourselves the main character. our own little lives. And because we've done that, what the Bible is clear about is that we deserve a sentence of death, a sentence that Jesus Christ took for you. When Jesus went to the cross, he took all the penalty that you and I should have gotten on himself. He dies and he resurrects so that it's possible now for you and I to be saved from the penalty that we should have gotten over our sin, death. But then Jesus also saves us for a new life. He gives us now a life that he calls to live by faith in service of his kingdom, more exciting than any kind of life you could ever live is the one living in service of the kingdom of God because you get to see God change people from the inside out. You get to see the kingdom of God break into this world all over. You and I get to participate in that. And here's what I want you to know. When you hear us talking about the church, what you hear is God saying, I've saved you from your sin, but I've saved you for a new life, and I've even given you protection and care within that new life. When the children of Israel were coming out of Egypt, God performed incredible plagues, incredible signs to shake the nation of Egypt to its core. But when God saved the children of Israel from Egypt, he not only delivered them from slavery, he then began to guide them in the desert. Pillar of cloud by day, a pillar of fire by night. And that pattern of deliverance and protection is what we see in our lives. God delivers us from the bondage of sin. But then he gives us a new life in which he guides us with his spirit and his word in the context of a healthy, vibrant, local church. The church tells us that God has saved us from something, but he saved us for more than just to be saved from our sin. He saved us for a new life. My prayer for you is that if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Savior, is that you would open your eyes to see how much God loves you. God, in one of the ways he's loved you, has given you the church and leaders, and it's our privilege and opportunity to find safety and submitting to the authorities Christ has placed in our lives. Would you please pray with me, church? just want everybody to bow their heads and close their eyes as we finish this series of messages up. I just want to take some time to kind of tie a bow on what we've talked about. I want to give you time to process what we've discussed. I'm talking to some of you right now. I just want some of you to listen who are struggling with the idea of authority. You've been under some unhealthy authorities in your lives. Maybe even you've had some pastors and elders you were very close to who've made poor decisions and fallen morally. I want you to know that there is safety in submission. There is a safety God provides for you without which you really can't thrive. And my prayer for you is that as you process what we've talked about these last three weeks is that you be open to God repairing your view of authority. That you be open to God giving you a sense of trust that replaces suspicion for pastors and leaders in a church. But I still, I, I still believe that there may be some of you here who don't know Christ. And if you're wondering how this message applies to you, I want you to know this points you to how much God loves you. God has saved you from your sin. He's made it possible for you to be redeemed from the penalty that you should get, but he's also made it possible for you to experience his kindness and grace and guidance and protection through the church. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, the way that you receive his grace and mercy in your life is by repenting of your sin and trusting Jesus. There's not a magical phrase you have to pray. There's not a series of incantations you have to recite. It's just a transaction that happens between you and God in which you say, I'm turning from being the main character. I understand that my sin puts me in opposition with God, and I'm turning instead to trust that He died for me, and that He rose again on the third day to give me new That can happen here as we sing in a few moments. That can happen as you're driving in your car or as you're laying in your bed. But all of us, if we're going to experience God's grace and mercy in our lives, have to cross the line of faith to come to know him. Father, right now, I pray for these groups of people that I've just addressed in this room. For those that are here that are not Christians, that are wrestling with your goodness and grace, I pray that you'd open their eyes and help them see what you've done for them, how much you love them, they would respond to repentance and faith. For believers who are here this morning who may be skeptical of authority or membership or the idea of pastors and elders being people they can trust, I pray that your grace through your word and your spirit would repair our hearts, that we'd be open to remembering that there is safety in submission to you and to your plan. God, I pray that this church We continue to be a beacon of hope and of the gospel, not only to this community, but to the world. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. Amen. Would you stand?